pretend that you don't know how the story ends. To try and put yourself in the, specifically the shoes of the disciples this evening. We're quick to call it Good Friday because we, we know how the story ends. Try to imagine with me if you can put yourself in the place of the disciples and you hear Jesus say these words, It is finished. How, how do you think they heard? Think, think of this. How do you hear those final words tonight? You think it's anything remotely similar to what at least John heard that Friday? Is Jesus' voice exhausted and possibly trembling as he walks this path? Is, is there maybe relief in his words as he realizes that the long ordeal of the arrest and the torture and the execution are approaching its end? Is there maybe defiance in his words? Uh, a man that even while being executed is in total control of his fate. The reality is that the cross is not taking his life. The executioners are not taking his life. He is voluntarily laying it down. It is the very reason he came to save sinners, to die. Is there defiance in his voice? Is that how you hear it? There, there is so much in those last three words, and my fear is, as, as Clay stated, that knowing the end of the story, we're very tainted in how we hear those words, how we read and understand those words. We're, we interpret it one way, but I would imagine the disciples felt nothing like you and I felt today. My, my fear is, and as Clay and Daniel and I chatted, my fear is that we're real quick to rush to Sunday and we really don't grasp what took place prior to that. And, and the effects of that are not only felt today and tomorrow, but when we, Lord willing, come back in here on Sunday, it affects Sunday really not grasping Friday. It is finished. I really tried to put myself in the place of the disciples and try to grasp how those words must have sounded to them. At least John. We, we, we know for sure that he was there. What, what, must, what must they have thought when they 
heard Jesus declare that it's all over. Because the reality is nothing could have prepared them for what happened that day. Certainly Jesus tried. Certainly he told them the crucifixion, the torture, their actions moments before all of this would begin to transpire. Nothing could have prepared them as much as Jesus tried, they were not prepared for the despair and the, the sorrow that they must have felt watching a man that they had followed, loved, abandoned everything for to follow for three years to watch him be crucified as a criminal by the Roman government. Try to put yourself in their shoes just for a moment and imagine what they would have thought at this finale, hearing it is finished. Imagine hearing that not knowing what's right around the corner. Try to put yourself in their shoes. You know, we've seen the, the end as we've seen. The disciples didn't know how, they, they didn't know the end of the story. At least they didn't comprehend it. That's why we put Mark 9.32 there. They did not understand. They were afraid to ask when Jesus was addressing the, His death, burial, and all that was to come. But they're, they're, remember, the disciples are in the middle of it. They're, they're experiencing this real time. In, in our day, it would be the equivalent of watching a game. It, they're watching this live time action. They don't know how the game ends. They're, they're seeing this unfold between their eyes. They're in the middle. They're in the middle of it. The middle of a crisis. The loss of all hope and and meaning. The the darkest night for the soul for them. In that moment, the cross was not exceptional. The reality in that moment, the cross was all too ordinary in a sense. Rome had crucified all sorts of people, scores of people just like Jesus. People convicted as criminals. For the disciples, this was all too much a tragic miscarriage, if you will, of justice. And they were helpless to do anything about it. The, the cross for the disciples, when we, when we think about Good Friday and we name it that because we understand it is about salvation, it is about forgiveness, and indeed it is. But, but the cross on that dark Friday for the disciples would have in many ways represented a brutal and profound, not only failure, but a brutal dose of guilt and failure even on their own for how their relationship with Jesus would have Closed. Those last moments. All they knew that was Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, that he, He's dead. When, when Jesus spoke of this earlier in His ministry, as I quoted in, in Mark 9.32, you see the disciples' reaction. He's, he's speaking to them and, and they say, but they did. he says, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, 
He will rise three days later. This was their response. But they did not understand this statement. And they were afraid to ask him. They're confused. They're afraid. No doubt many of them are flooded with a lot of guilt. They had given up so much for this man and so much for his mission. Family, friends, jobs, respectability, their names. In in many regards, they had assumed that Jesus had come to establish an eternal kingdom immediately that would limit... that would liberate them from their Roman oppressors, in their minds, they're going to rule. In many regards, when they proceed into Jerusalem with Jesus, they're thinking, this is it, we're going to rule. They they had seen Jesus do amazing things that that testified to His coming reign, to the coming reign of God. They had been there when He had fed the multitudes with fishes and loaves. They had been there when they had seen sight restored to a blind man. They had been there when, when, and, and knew that Lazarus had, had his life restored, others. But, but think about this for a second. What good were the mirac- those miraculous moments when you're confronted with the reality of the cross as they saw it and the rupture of literally everything that they had believed in and trusted. And then there's Jesus in his last breath on a cross and he declares, It is finished. What, what, did, what do you think it meant to those disciples? Imagine hearing those words and looking around and realizing. The world is a wreck, the mess and the violence, the hate, the oppression, the despair, the disappointment in that they're not ruling, that that they weren't great, that nobody was considering them brilliant for following Jesus at that time. In many regards, this is not what they signed up for, and yet Jesus says, it is finished. You would imagine that in their minds they're thinking, how, how can this be? And reality is, in many regards, that's the question that really haunts Good Friday. How is it that we would call Jesus being crucified for the sins of the world Good Friday? It's because we know the end of the story. The question is this, what, what do we do when things fall apart and we've lost all meaning and for whatever comes next? Because that is exactly where the disciples find themselves when Jesus is crucified. I, I'm not sure, as I, again, as I sat there and thought, I'm not sure that we can grasp the emotion of Good Friday for the disciples. Even, even in our Bibles, for instance, in Mark 15, 24, here's what it says. And they crucified him. That, that's the description we get. 
And, and even here, we miss so much would it, what it have been like, what it would have been like to watch your leader die, not just any death, but to be crucified as a criminal. What that would have looked like, what that experience would have been like, coupled again, as we'll see in a moment, with how things ended. Imagine knowing how things ended in your last moments, in your last moments with your loved one. And then, let me, let me, let me for just a moment, describe what those at the cross would have witnessed. It would have began before the cross. It would have began with flogging. And, and Romans flogging, Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. Jesus would have, history tells us that He would have endured at least 39 lashes. History tells us that frequently the criminals were given many, many more, but depending on the mood of the soldier who was administering the lashes. The soldier would take a whip of braided leather thongs and there would be metal balls woven into them. There would be bits of bones woven into the tips of them. And the soldier would strike the flesh with that whip. These, these balls, these, these bones would cause deep bruises, deep contusions, which would break open as further lashes were administered, cutting the flesh severely. Historians, experts in this field say that the back of Jesus would have been so shredded apart that most likely the spine would have been, his spine would have been exposed. The whipping he endured would have gone all the way from the top of his back down into his legs. As the, as the, floggings, as the flogging continued, lacerations would tear into Jesus' underlying skeletal muscles, producing ribbons of bleeding flesh. His veins would have been laid bare, his muscles open to exposure. History tells us that that many people would not, even in, would not even survive the floggings to, to, to make it to the cross. At, at the very least, the pain would have been so unbearable, uh, the medical doctors say that Jesus would have certainly gone into hypovolemic shock, and this would have been due to the amount of blood loss that he experienced. And in this condition, hypovolemic shock, Jesus' heart rate would have begun to, to race in order to try and pump blood to the rest of the body that just wasn't there. Because of this, his blood pressure would have dropped, causing severe fatigue. His kidneys would have ceased working in order to preserve whatever fluids remained in his body. It would have caused him to be, become extremely thirsty, the body craving fluids that just weren't there. And, and hear me, we see evidences of this all throughout the gospel. We see him staggering on the road carrying his cross as he fell down and Simon comes and helps him. We see him crying out, I am thirsty when he's on the cross. All, all evidences that, that this was real. 
at, at the point that Jesus made it to the place where he would be put on a cross, he would have already been in seriously critical condition. At that point, the soldiers would have, would have placed him on the, the bar, sending a cross on the ground, and they would, have, they would have thrown him backwards with his shoulders against that wood that, that legionnaire would have felt for the depression right, right at the front of his wrist, and he would have drove a heavy five to seven inch square wrought iron nail through his wrist and into the wood. Quickly, he would have gone to the other arm and done the same thing. These nails, medical doctors tell us, these nails would have gone through the place where the median nerve runs. And this is the largest nerve running out of the hand. They say that this kind, the pain that would have been generated from this would be the equivalent of somebody squeezing and crushing your funny bone nerve. Crushing it. That the pain would have been beyond words. The reality, the, the, the reality is this, and history tells us in order to accommodate the pain that was generated and being nailed and crucified on a cross, it is literally the word excruciating actually means out of the cross. To try to depict the pain that Jesus bore. Imagine seeing your loved one go through that. A pain so great that, that in many ways we had to invent a word to try to grasp. To try to feel what it would have felt like. The cross would have then been lifted into place. His left foot would have been pressed, pressed backwards against his right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail would have been driven through the arch of each foot, leaving them leaving his knees flexed, causing a similar type of pain to that which he would experience when those nails were driven through his wrists. As Jesus would slowly sag down with more weight on the nails and wrists, excruciating, fiery pain would have shot along his fingers and through his arms and up and down his, up and down his legs to just explode in his brain in the sense of the amount of pain that would have been there the pressure that those nails would have been putting on his nerves. Imagine trying to catch your breath and to push up against that, trying to extend your chest as he puts the full weight of his body on those feet that are nailed to a cross. Imagine trying to grab catch your breath or grasp your breath in a back that has just been lacerated up and down, is moving up and down against a wooden post. As his, as his arms would have fatigued, cramps would have swept through with the muscles, knotting them in deep, throbbing pain. With these cramps, it would have made it very difficult for him to push himself up in order to expand his chest to breathe so that air could be drawn into the lungs. Fighting just to raise yourself up to grasp a breath, even the smallest breath. Finally, the carbon dioxide would have built up in the lungs to the point where, and in the bloodstream where, where he really couldn't have 
gotten that breath. Hours of limitless pain. Cycles of twisting. Joint, really joint rendering cramps. Searing pain through your entire body. The, the pain of pericardium slowly setting in where the heart fills up and the chest fills up with fluids compressing on the heart. Frantic to grasp that breath. He can feel the death is creeping nearer and nearer and finally he gives up his life he gives it up all of that and you know what the word of God says and they crucified him all that is pictured in three words or four words and they crucified him Jesus' body would have been taken down from the cross, as we see. By the time that happened, none of the disciples can be found. They've, those who have openly followed have shrunk back into the shadows, crushed, defeated. I think about John 20, verse 19, where it tries to paint that picture for us. In the word of God, it says, So when it was evening on the day, on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, that, that was the disciples' response to the crucifixion. In the eyes of the disciples, Jesus didn't say, it is finished, so much as he said, they would have heard, we are finished. And again, the object before us tonight is not to, is simply to help us to grasp what the disciples would be thinking. What did they experience upon the death of Christ? To try to put ourselves there. Did they expect Jesus to rise again? I mean, after all the numerous times in the Word of God that we see Jesus trying to explain this, but the Gospels are, are seemingly clear that, that they did not grasp this. Even by their reaction, they didn't grasp this. If you were to go to Luke 24, when Mary returns from seeing an open tomb, their response to an empty tomb was, it was nonsense, literally nonsense. The hope of an empty tomb didn't buffet the emotions of Friday. All they would have known was that their leader was dead and it most likely meant certain death for themselves, for sure ridicule. In many of their minds, they probably processed it of saying, we're next. At the very least, it would be the picture 
that Paul paints in 1 Corinthians 15, especially 17 through 19. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, we are men to be most pitied. Foolish. Imagine leaving everything behind and for three, three and a half years you follow somebody who dies as a criminal. And their guilt is probably going to be placed onto you. You can imagine what it would have been like for them. Fools, not, not, not envied, but pitied, ridiculed. Where, where do they go from here? Imagine returning maybe back to your family. How you'd feel there. Rejected. They had left everything. Luke 5.11 makes it very clear. They had abandoned everything. Possessions, relationships, friends, family, reputation, careers, livelihood, houses, boats, expectations, hopes. All gone with a crucified Savior. They had left everything for Jesus, and here He is, crucified. Couple that with this thought, and here's where I want to, here's where I think would have been even worse for the disciples. Couple that with this thought. Even if they managed to live, even if they avoided dying as Jesus did, imagine for a moment what their future would hold. Maybe death would be better than living the rest of your life with the, in the shadows of the emotions that the disciples would have held knowing how their final days, final moments with Jesus ended. You know, I, I thought about it not to be just in my own mind as I thought through this of trying to picture what that moment might have been like and thought it might kind of be like if Karen and I, my wife, got in a really, really bad fight one morning and we said some stuff to each other and we're not happy about and she dies on the way to work. And we never got a chance to fix it. Maybe that's somewhat a picture of how they might have felt. Some of the emotions that would have been going through their minds. Mourning, for sure, mourning. They're, they're, we, we don't understand in our culture what it would have meant to be a student of a particular teacher in Judaism. It's not just going to their class and then going home at the end of the day. It's not just where you say, oh yeah, he's my professor from 9 to 9... 45 on Monday, when somebody became a disciple, they dedicated themselves to imitating that person. They were immersed in the teaching of that person and in the service of that person. They did everything they could to become just like Jesus of Nazareth and follow his teaching. They followed him everywhere. It went every day for over three years. And when Jesus said he was going to die, Peter got so upset that in Mark 8, 27 through 38, we see Peter rebuking 
Jesus, rebuking him. Why? Because this was their best friend. And now he's dead. The man that they knew as the Christ, their leader, their closest friend, had died. The one who told the lowliest of people, Blessed are you, the man who ate with sinners, said to those sinners to come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. That Jesus, the one who called out the, the unrighteous lifestyle that the religious leaders of that day participated in, the, the one who talked about the unconditional love of God, the, the man who said to himself that the kingdom of God in himself, the kingdom of God had come in Mark 1.15, he's dead. Certainly mourning. What about doubt? There, there's something that we have to understand as well about traditional beliefs in Judaism about the Messiah. They expected him to become to be a, a powerful leader, to free the Jews from the clutches of, of the Romans. And, and in Luke 24, 21, it says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. That was their idea. Sort of like a Davidic figure. False messiahs rose up all the time and the Jews dealt with them in the same way. Crucifixion. Far from vanquishing the enemies of Israel, they crucified Jesus just like they did other criminals, other false messiahs, if you will. They were not heroes, nor did they rescue God's people. So when Jesus was murdered... The world said it proved him to be a liar. Galatians 3 says to hang on a tree is curse. Maybe this is what the disciples were thinking when Jesus was crucified. He didn't fulfill the prophecies. They, they thought that the power of God had been revealed to them. They thought that he had died and maybe, maybe the Jewish authorities were right. Maybe. Everything that they had believed and given themselves to appeared to be in question. Maybe doubt. Did, did all of their dreams die with Christ? Maybe not mourning, or maybe mourning, maybe doubt, but think about this. I wonder if they weren't angry with themselves. Again, imagine, imagine what the disciples must have been dealing with emotionally, living with the reality of knowing what their last moments with Jesus were like. And let me, let me, let me read a couple of, of passages here just to help us get an idea of that. Luke 22, chapter 22, verse 24, paints a picture of them arguing about who was going to be the greatest. They said, and, these, and there arose... Also, a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded as to be the greatest. And, he, and Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. You see Jesus correcting them. 
for their attitudes about greatness, about their attitudes about what their future held. Luke 22, verse 39, paints a a picture of Jesus' loneliness while he's in the garden praying. The disciples are sleeping, and three times, three times, Jesus corrects them on this. He came about and proceeded as he was accustomed to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from, and he goes on, and, and he comes back, verse 4, he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He says, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. Matthew 26, verses 51 through 56, paint a picture of the disciples when Jesus is arrested. Specifically, verse 56, it says, But all this was taking place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. What kind of emotions do you think Peter specifically would have been experiencing knowing what his final moments with Jesus were like? We see that in Luke 22, verses 54 and following where Peter denies Jesus three times. The rooster crows. It says... The Lord turned, and listen to this, verse 61, that rooster crowed. When the rooster crowed, listen to this, verse 61 of chapter 22 of Luke. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Verse 62 says, and he went out and wept bitterly. What kind of thoughts do you think Peter had in his mind looking into Jesus' eyes after you've denied him three times? And now he's dead. The, The goal of tonight, the goal of all of this, is to help us see the crucifixion through the eyes of the disciples, to, dare I say, to help us Maybe have a greater sense of worship on Sunday. To, to let the reality of Friday and Saturday for the disciples and those who had followed him, to let that simmer in your soul over the next couple of days. From the deepest guilt that someone could possibly feel to doubting the reality, the living reality that had meant so much to them, that to, to just being sad over losing your closest friend, that, that's what the crucifixion would have meant to the disciples. That's how they would have viewed it. That's Good Friday. Don't, don't be so quick to run to Sunday and in doing so have a little bit of a lack of appreciation for Sunday. Many, many of you have lost loved ones. Imagine 
if your last interaction with them would have been the way the disciples were with Jesus. Imagine watching him suffer and fleeing to protect yourself. How, how would you feel knowing that you had left everything for one who died as a criminal? Imagine going back to your friends and your family, starting over, fearing for your own life as you just saw what Jesus experienced. This is Good Friday for the disciples. It truly seems to be finished. Lord, help us grasp the weight of Friday through the eyes of the disciples.